On today's episode of Breakpoint, it is something a little bit different, an MP theme today with Minister of Sport Martin Pakula going to join us on the program today to chat about the upcoming Australian Open, a key member of the Daniel Andrews government here in Melbourne. And we're really excited to see what he's got to say about what is coming up in January. And along with that, another MP, Mark Polman's one of our favourites on this show. We had him on earlier on in the year and, well, he has had a fantastic trip throughout America and Europe, which saw a culmination in the second round of Roland Garros. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me, as always, is the birthday boy, Joel Frucci. Happy birthday. How are you? Thanks, Val. Uh, Yeah, going well, mates. And God, I'm pumped for this show. I tell you what, I cannot wait for people to hear our chat with Mark Holmans. That guy is a king among men. Um, And also... Martin Pakula MP, um, I don't know how we pulled that off, but it's got to do with a bit of a relation to yourself, a, a bit of a distant relation. But yeah, I mean, do you want, do you want to explain it to, to our listeners? <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, well, I um, he's at, he married a um, lady with the same last name as me, Febo, and um, we started corresponding last year and he asked if it was any relation. And um, yeah, I I had to ask my normal and I, cause I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but there is another Febo family that lives on the other side of Melbourne to us in the Sandringham region. And um, uh, same from the same town as my normal in Pescara. So I think it could, it could very well be a distant relation, but we're not, I, I don't think a hundred percent sure, but I think it could be. Very no, distant. They're always related. Exactly. For, for, no. any, for any, for any uh, yeah, for any, for any people that uh, don't, uh, aren't in an Italian family or, or don't have many Italian friends. Uh, yeah, it, it, most Italians are related somehow. You know, I've half my well, my mum's side of the family is Croatian, and that is even more potent because you they are they <laughs> all know each other. It is it is scary. Like you will you will mention a Croatian last name to my grandparents, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, I know that family," and it is it's scary. So, um, no, we do love it, though, the, the sense of community that we do love about Melbourne. But, Joel, you can't, you cannot skip around the fact, and we will get to, to some tennis shortly, but you can't skip around the fact that it is your birthday. And yes. I've, pre- I've prepared something a little bit special for you today on this show to mark such a, okay. such a special occasion. And I hope you can hear this down Zoom, and I've made sure that the volume is ready to go and, and turned up. That's probably the little blip that you heard there, but... Here we go. So let's. I just want to watch your face. On another topic, the preparations for your birthday have begun. You won't get what I really want. No one does. Happy birthday, Mr. Smithers. <laughs> you know what? It played the wrong one. I have played the wrong bit of audio here, and I am absolutely devastated. Oh, no. Bear with me, because I am crushed right now. Hold on one second, Joel. This is right. this. I am. I'm actually a little bit broken here. This is. Um. This is. This has gone horribly, horribly wrong. But just uh, bear with me. It'll happen again. Did you like that little bit at least? Well, yeah. I mean, it was a relevant Simpsons scene. You know, I love it. It was, and I do know you love the Simpsons. But this is the one that I that I have prepared. Okay. On another topic, the preparations for your birthday have begun. They won't get what I really want. No one does. Happy birthday. Mr. Frucci. <laughs> That's what I wanted to play, but yeah, I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd, I'd give you a little bit of a birthday surprise, considering I can't see you. But um, no, it's uh, yeah, happy birthday, and uh, 
yeah, that's uh, me and the Simpsons from from one person to another, and I know you love it, so I thought I'd, uh, I would do something very special for you on uh, on birthday number twenty five. But should we get into the agenda, Joel? Yeah, I reckon we should. And why don't we start with Andre Rublev because that guy is absolutely on fire. Another title in St. Petersburg, defeated Borna Charge seven six six four, and got himself a career high ranking of number eight in the world, which pits him very nicely to uh, qualify for London at the end of the year, or in in November. And four titles now for Andre Rublev this year, St. Petersburg, Adelaide, Doha, and Hamburg. He's looking great. And I'll tell you what, Val, when he gets up and going, he's so good to watch. He can hit a flat ball. But also the way that he moves, um, some of the balls that he makes, unbelievable. And I'm really happy to see a guy like Andre, all the hard work that he's put in this year. He's played a lot of tennis. It seems to be paying off for him. Yep, 100%. And he's looking really good at the moment in terms of his uh, qualification uh, or hopes for London, as you did say. And he's moved into seventh outright. So he moves uh, behind Alexander Zverev. He's eighth in the world. Roger Federer obviously not playing. But the players that have qualified, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Dominic Team, Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, Alexander Zverev, and then Rublev and Schwartzman have the next two spots. Berrettini, Monfi, and Shapovalov. Uh, and also Roberto Bautista Agu, not too far behind either. So... Looking forward to the culmination of the season. But as, as you, you mentioned, four titles equal to, equal to a leader with Novak Djokovic, who's also won four. But he's also second in terms of match wins in 2020 as well. 34 and 7 at an 80, I think, 3% ratio. There's an article that um, uh, was published on the tennis menu yesterday. Andre the Giant and his rapid rise in 2020. He has been phenomenal. And not to mention fourth round of the Australian Open, started the year 11-0 and before losing to Zverev there. And also quarterfinals at the US Open and the French Open. The first time he's been able to do that at back-to-back majors, um, winning in Hamburg. He's been supreme this year. And I think he is probably the player to watch going into 2021. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, age is on his side too. I, I just wonder... When it comes to the Russians, obviously they've got a very strong contingent at the moment. Daniel Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, and, and Karen Kashinov. We know, Val, that Danil is the guy at the moment. Uh, he's in he's in the top six in the world, but Andre's not far behind. And I'd, I'd almost go as far as saying that, that Andre, I don't know, I'm not going to say that he has a more complete game than Danil, but I, I think he's capable of being a better player than Danil. I agree. No, I, I, this is my contention as well. I think that Daniil has had the, the early results, as has Karen Kashinov. And Kashinov, the 2018 Paris Masters 1000 winner, Medvedev has won in Cincinnati and also made a Grand Slam final and, and had those performances. Um, both of them both wins over Djokovic. Um, but I think watching Rublev at his best, I think he has the ability, and he's still younger than what Medvedev is, and I just think the way that he goes about his business and what he's been able to do, he just needs to translate it into the slams and get to that semi-final and final. And I think once yeah, he definitely. does, but he's got a complete game, Joel. He's quick, he hits the ball hard, and his reflexes are great. And I remember watching him in uh, Cincinnati last year take on Roger Federer um, and uh, in the American swing, and he destroyed him. He destroyed Federer. It was Roger's first match back after Wimbledon or second or something like that after that devastating loss to Djokovic. And Rublev taught him a lesson. And I think that's what... He he doesn't wilt in the big occasion. And I think he did run out of puff at the French Open, losing in the quarters to Stefano Tsitsipas. And I think that will come with time. But I, I just think the way that he goes about his business, he's mentally tough. 
and that's what I see about him that that, that I really like. And um, yeah, I, I do think that he might have the 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 stepping stones to actually surpass Medvedev, and I think he already has surpassed Karen Khashinov, um in the way that they play. But who who can argue that? Um, who or who can't argue that Russian tennis is in one of the best states it's ever been in? Oh yeah, well you wouldn't want to be coming up against Russia in the Davis Cup no. when it resumes. When it comes to the year-end finals, it's interesting as well with with Andre. In the last few years, we've seen the younger guys kind of take that step at the year-end finals. We've seen Alexander Zverev win it. We've seen Stefanos Tsitsipas win it. And we've seen Grigor Dimitrov win it, even though he is, of course, a little bit older at this point. And we're kind of just still hanging on, waiting, hoping that he can take that step and, and maybe win a slam, even though we probably think it might have passed him by at this point. But I look at previous results, Val, in the year-end finals, and I just think, can that be the platform after a really strong year for Andre, where he's played a lot of tennis, where he's won a lot of titles, whether he can just put it all together in that round-robin format, that really short tournament format, and take that that next big step for him? Because I think if he can win that, that'll give him some real confidence that he can take it to these guys and, and match these guys um, you know, at that, at that year-end level, but then uh, possibly take it over. Um, into the slams as well. Yeah, well, he's got to get there first. I think that's the main thing. But I think if he does get there, yeah. I think he's I think probably going to... Yeah, oh, I should. I if he, he doesn't, I'll be very, yeah. very surprised. But I think if he gets there, he's probably going to be the most dangerous player because the guy has beaten most players he's come up against. Like, he's just... Four titles in a season is is something monumental. And for someone that's at his age as well, I'm, I'm mightily impressed by what he's been able to do this year. And... I think we remember back to 2017, the US Open, he made the quarters, had a difficult 2018 with injury, um, and same with 2019. He's had, he missed a couple of months in both of those years due to injury. This is his first full season, and it's not even a full season because we were suspended for five months. So I'm mightily impressed with what he's been able to conjure up and, and, and his simply or simple brilliance on court. So really excited to see what he can do. Um, going forward for the rest of 2020 and then moving into the Australian Open in 2021. Moving to the other tournaments, Laszlo Jed of Serbia defeated Marco Cecchinato, one of our favourites on this show, thanks to Tancredi Palmieri. Oh, Joel's Italian, doesn't get much better than that. Our bilingual brilliant man, Joel Frucci, on his birthday. Uh, he uh, he defeated Jed over Cecchinato in Sardinia 7-6-7-5 for his second career title. And Alexander Zverev made Felix Auger Aliasim 0-6 in ATP finals, taking that Cologne title 6-3, 6-3. Very disappointing here for Felix Auger Aliasim. Um, 0-6 in finals. This has to start lingering with him. And I, I do want to get Master Fullis on to chat about this um, very, very soon and, and about sort of having these hoodoos that you have to break. How much does this weigh up on your mind? And um, he's had his chances and six times, it's got to be difficult. Yeah, well, I think I think Felix Bell is probably still under that under that top 12, top 15 rung of, of players. He's he's been pretty good this season, at least on hard court. At the US Open, I thought he was he, he was brilliant while he was still there. But then when he ran into Dominic Team, he got absolutely smashed off the court. Yeah. Um, and not quite smashed off the court, but he got beaten pretty pretty comfortably by Alex Verov um, in in Cologne as well. So the big thing for him, uh, and at the US Open, he did the job over Andy Murray quite convincingly. Um, but I think the next big thing for him is he's got to start putting some wins together against the top. 
guys. I think that's the next big thing for him because we know he can do it. He's got a big game, and I think he's taken a lot of strides this year on the hard court. Fixing, I think, fixing his all court game is is important as well. But I'm excited by what he can do. I think it's only a matter of time for Felix or Jarrell Yassim. He's just got a few things to to work on. But um, yeah, I mean, when he when he puts it together, I think he's going to be dangerous because he has a huge game when he's up and going. He does. And speaking of huge games and people that have been in the top 10 before, Sam Query. Now, this was a bizarre set of circumstances in St. Petersburg this week. So he tested positive for coronavirus. And this is a Ben Rothenberg thread um, on Twitter that we we just could. I think our jaws are still collectively on the ground. Um, But so he's tested positive for COVID-19, as has his wife. They were originally told that they'd get to um, spend that two weeks in a hotel in Russia, be fine, all good, no problems. But then found out after that that they would have to spend it in a Russian hospital. And they didn't like that idea. Query, having been sponsored by a um, private jet company at previous tournaments in previous years before, um, hired one of those jets, got himself out of Russia and a quarantining in an undisclosed location before Query jets off to play in Paris um, for the end of the year before going home to America. He could now face, as a serious COVID breach and breaching the ATP's code of conduct, a possible $100,000 fine or even a three-year ban, which would essentially end his career. Look, I honestly don't know what to think of this because I've seen a lot of um, conflicting tweets saying that it's irresponsible, but also that it's smart and that he shouldn't have had to. Um, they shouldn't have backflipped and told him that he'd spend it in spend his quarantine or um, sort of sick days in a hospital. Um, but a lot of I, look honestly, I think it's probably irresponsible to actually travel under these circumstances. Um, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I'm not, I'm not sure it was the the. I don't think it was the smartest thing for him to do just to jump on a plane and uh, and, and leave. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it certainly doesn't look good for, it, for the ATP. No. And I guess it's not really a lot, a lot that we can say about it. But, um, yeah, I think it's certainly worse, I think, for the ATP than the player himself because I've got no doubt that uh, governments around the world would want uh, certain guarantees from sports bodies, especially one like tennis, like the ATP, the WTA, the ITF, uh, that they and their players are going to behave and abide by COVID protocols, local COVID protocols in such a, a delicate situation. So there's certainly a lot riding on it for the ATP. But um, what I'm a little confused about, Val, is surely he can't be banned for three years for this. I mean, that is that is excessive because when you compare it to something like a player testing positive for uh, prohibited uh, substance like you know performance enhancing drugs or whatever. We've seen it a few times in, in tennis. Um, probably Maria Sharapova was the most recent one. She only got a year. Uh, yeah, and then and then and then beyond that, um, who, who else did we have? Um, well, we've had Guillermo we Coria has tested positive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Guillermo yeah. Cañas. Yeah. Um, yep. Mariano Puerta, so the bit of an Argentinian theme there. Yep. Probably better stop not to offend them, but um, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's been a few. Well, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I guess the point here is that how can a player be banned for longer for that than uh, for players taking performance enhancing substances? I don't, I don't quite understand that. I, I think the priorities are a bit mixed up there. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think, look, this is this is something, it is, while it is very severe and while 
Um, what happened at the Adria Tour as well earlier on this season, Francis Tiafo going on and playing in Atlanta when he probably shouldn't have, um, and also Alexander Zverev kind of disregarding all the so, uh, well playing when he said he had symptoms of COVID. Thank God he was negative. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think sometimes our priorities can be warped. And I do think this is, I still think a drug cheat is a lot more severe than than this. Um, and yeah, and but especially, but there's elements to this where ignoring social distancing parameters and global protocols that everybody should really be obeying, you know that that can't go, that that can't be disregarded because it is wrong what he did. But yeah, I, I don't think yeah. it'll be a three-year ban. I think that's just there. It's kind of a clickbait thing there where where people are just saying, oh look, you know this is what they can get. Um, this is that you know the maximum fine. And people will click on the article and then they'll realize, oh, he might only get like a $10,000 fine or, you know, maybe a month ban ban for the, for, from participating in Paris at the end of the season. That's fine. We've, we've seen that happen many times before, but it's a very, very weird situation. And uh, I can't wait to, to get to the bottom of it and, and hear what the ATP's findings and the ITF's findings are. But uh, should we get into our first special guest of today's show, Joel? Uh, yes, we should. As we've said, it's a big one and can't wait for our listeners to hear this. And Joel, our very first special guest on today's show is a man who has been under a lot of pressure recently and we can't thank him enough for his time. He's the Honourable Martin Pakula MP, Minister for Racing and Minister for Tourism, Sport and Major Events in Victoria, Minister for Industry, Support and Recovery and Trade and the Minister for Business Precincts and Minister for Coordination of Jobs, Precincts and Regions in COVID-19. So he's a very, very busy man. And Martin, we can't thank you enough for your time. So thank you so much for joining us on Breakpoint Podcast today. No worries, Val. Nice to see you. Nice to see Joel. And first things first, we must ask, how are you? Because obviously it's been a very busy well, time for you and, um, yeah, a lot a lot of stress. We, we can't imagine what you'd be under. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been pretty busy. Um, we've got, uh, you know, lots of, lots of different sectors wanting to get open. So I've been talking to a lot of restaurateurs in the last 24 hours and, you know, people want to get back to the races. We've got the Cox Plate this Saturday and the Flemington Carnival after that and, um, you know, payments to businesses. Um, uh, there's no, no no end of issues at the moment. So we've got, uh, uh, but you know, thankfully today one case, uh, yesterday four. So the last few days has been extremely good uh, in terms of uh, bringing those numbers down. And if we can just do that for a few more days, then hopefully uh, Melbourne will look pretty different next week than it does this week. Yep, fingers crossed, and yeah, we're getting we're getting slowly out of it. So fingers crossed that we can just keep pushing. And Victoria's doing a wonderful job. But um, look, we, we've got you on to chat about tennis, Martin, and we've we've had a lot of correspondence over the last year, especially after that uh, dreaded twenty nineteen Wimbledon final, where I think both of us were fairly deflated after Roger Federer unfortunately lost. But um, looking at, at at your passion for tennis as a whole, um, where did that where did that begin, and uh, what what captured your love of the sport? Oh look! Look, I'm just uh, I, I've just been sports mad since I was a kid, and tennis is just one of the, one of the sports that I was mad about watching. Um, my, my earlier memories of tennis are probably because I'm, I'm a fair bit older than you guys, but uh, my earliest memories would have been watching uh, John Newcomb and Mark Alexander, uh, Mark Edmondson, sorry, um, slug it out, and I think probably '76 or '77 yeah. Aussie Open final. Um, I'm old enough to have seen the tail end of Kenny Rosewall's career, so when I was a kid, it was all. You know, Jimmy Connors, Nuke, Edo, 
uh, then Johnny Alexander, and then sort of Johnny Mack and Bjorn Borg. So, you know, watching those epic um, Wimbledon finals between Borg and McEnroe, seeing Borg win against players like Nastasi and Tanner, um, you know, watching Connors have that sort of career renaissance in the early 80s after he dominated in the, in, in the sort of early to mid-70s. So there was, there was great um, tennis then. And then, you know, on the women's side, um, you know, watching Navratilova emerge to sort of take the crown from Chrissy Evert, um, th- there was just so many great players, I suppose, when I was, when I was younger um, on, on both the men and women's side of the draw. And Australia had a period of great success. You know, Nuke was... Nuke was, uh, had been number one in the world. Um, you know, it was back in the days when you still saw Australians winning the Aussie Open. You know, I, I remember, I think, uh, Kerry Reid and Chris O'Neill winning winning the women's and, and, and Edo winning the men's. So it was, yeah, it was just a, it was, it was, it was a great sport of my childhood and I was terrible at it just for what it's worth. <laughs> like self-taught, never had a lesson, hacked around, you know, but like enjoyed playing but never played very well. Yeah, well, that's. Uh, I think that makes uh, makes three of us. I think, Minister, because uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I like to think I'm all right at uh, at tennis, but um, just in the local uh, in the local magoos, just uh, in the back of my house, we. Uh, yeah, I think it's mainly about the barbecues and the and the beers after the after the matches, more so than the actual yeah. tennis. But uh, yeah, it is. It's very good that the club has uh, just reopened uh, yesterday. Very thankful for that. But um, of course, speaking of the Australian Open, it is coming at us pretty fast, or at least the timing of it, and. Yeah. We certainly hope that it's going to go ahead. And I guess the, the complexities of the situation around COVID-19 for everything, really, not least tennis, means that unfortunately, as you'd be well aware, is no one's got that crystal ball where we pretty much can't even predict next week, let alone what's happening in January. But I guess this is a pretty broad, a broad one because we have heard a bit from Craig Tiley in Tennis Australia. We hope that uh, the Australian Open will be able to go ahead in, in some way, shape or form. But... I guess, what does a COVID-safe Australian Open look like in your mind? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's hard to be definitive about that at the moment. There's so much to go on. So I've been talking to Craig pretty regularly. Um, my department's been talking to him um, and we've been back and forth with the Department of Health and Human Services. There's so many issues. So we've got, there's, you know, there's a border force issue here because we've got to get people into the country. Um, and we don't yet know whether those players or how many of them will, will make Melbourne their first port of call versus other places. Mm-hmm. It depends on whether, you know, the Sydney International goes ahead. It depends on whether the uh, – what, what the ATP uh, Cup, yeah. that, that, event, mm-hmm. that, 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 that event that's kind of like the, um, the, the sort of alternative Davis Cup. Um, you know, if those events go ahead in other cities, then a lot of those players will quarantine in those cities rather than having to come through Melbourne. If they don't go ahead, then everyone will probably be coming to Melbourne as their first stop. So we've got to figure that out. Um, we've got to work on travel bubbles. We've got to work on the issue of crowds. Um, I'd be hopeful that... Um, I, I, look, I'm, I'm extremely confident the tournament will go ahead. Um, I'm... Uh, I'm reasonably confident we'll have some sort of crowds there. Uh, I don't think we'll be uh, packing out RLA like we have in years gone by, but that's, um, I don't think anyone really expects that to be the case. I mean, we did, you know, we had some crowds, I think, at the French and none at the US. Um, so I'd be hopeful of some crowds. Uh, I'd be hopeful uh, that the tournament goes ahead as scheduled, um, but there's a whole lot of work to do. It's really about how we get the players. You know how how they're allowed to train and practice when they land, 
um, because they don't want to obviously sit in a hotel room for 14 days without being able to move and do any exercise and practice. How we get them in and out of the tour, in and out of uh, Melbourne Park safely. How we keep them and spectators away from one another. Um, how we keep spectators away from each other. So there's a huge number of issues, as you as you'd imagine, and we're working on all of them. Um, but the Australian Open is an incredibly important part of this state's um, cultural life and our sporting life, and I'm determined that it will happen. Before we do touch on a few of those uh, issues, Minister, can you give us an idea um, like of how many stakeholders are involved in uh, organising, say, in quotation marks, like a normal Australian Open versus what we're yeah. expecting in 2021? Obviously, you've already mentioned that there's, there's a lot of parties involved. Well, well, yeah, look, I mean, apart from, um, you know, you've always got... Um, uh, Tennis Australia, obviously, Tennis Victoria, Melbourne Olympic Parks Trust, uh, Victoria Police, you've got uniform uh, manufacturers, you've got all of the sponsors, um, you've got the huge catering um, requirement. Uh, then you've got the added complications of the fact that you're holding tournaments in what is a kind of a construction zone. So, because uh, you've got the, the new show court and the media centre being built at the moment, um, you've got um, oh, I mean, City of Melbourne, um, major stakeholder. Um, you've got um, the NBL because, as you know, in the second week, um, there's some games being played at John Kane. Oh, that has been the case in the past. We'll see whether that happens this year. Um, so I, I, there's probably another dozen that I've forgotten, but there's a huge number of... Um, there's obviously also then all the broadcasters, international and domestic, um, which is a massive, massive part of the event. Um, and, uh, and then you've got all the ball boys and ball girls and you've got, you know, all of the staff at, at, at Melbourne Olympic Parks. There's a massive staff contingent um, and their unions. So, yeah, it's uh, Craig uh, and his team do an unbelievable job of organising that tournament with all of those. I mean, I've actually been... Uh, I've, I've been in, you know, on the sort of Sunday before the tournament starts and, and just watching the way that he, um, you know, looks at the draw and, you know, the, you know who's playing who, who goes on which court, all of that scheduling stuff, which is just being updated, you know, multiple times a day is an incredible logistical effort. Incredible. Yeah, it is extremely difficult in seeing, like, look, there's... 128 players playing in the in the first on the first day alone. So 64 matches that you have to try and organise for both men's and women's. Um, it's yep. it's just absolutely crazy. But looking at um at, at tennis Australia, how much or, or even your department, how much or what at what point does your department actually sort of navigate a lot of time to organising the Australian Open in, in, in a certain year? Because there's obviously AFL, there's racing, there's and there's so many other sports that you have to that you have to look at. Or is it just an all-year-round thing where you'll just constantly chip away at it? In a, in a normal year, I'd say to you, we don't really do that much. I mean, in a normal year, in a non-COVID year, Tennis Australia organises the Australian Open. They organise that um, in conjunction. Like, the primary relationship will be between them and the Melbourne Olympic Parks Trust. So you've got that trust chaired by Russell Kaplan with um, John Harden as CEO. And so MOP, as the, as the sort of venue manager, they are the owner of... They, 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 you know, it's a state asset. They are a trust set up to run that asset for the state. Um, it gets handed over to Tennis Australia, in, you know, for the period of the Australian Open. But they, you know, they stay... They work very closely together. 
but apart from them, which is a, you know, and they answer to our department, we, we don't have to be particularly involved. TA does a great job running the Australian Open. They don't need too much government involvement in that. Yeah, they are. They do a brilliant job. But also looking at the, you mentioned uh, the bubble situation and um, players quarantining. That's obviously going to be something that, that has to be talked about with what we've seen, especially at the US Open and the French Open. Have you paid much attention to what they've been doing um, over there in New York and also in Paris? And have you taken sort of little bits of information from what they've done to possibly translate that into the organisation of, of our event here in Melbourne? Yeah, well, certainly, um, certainly, TA have, um, yeah. and 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 I'm sure that in terms of the proposal that they're put, putting forward to government, they'll have pulled lots of the best intelligence from yeah. what other tournaments around the world have done, and it, that'll certainly be informing their thinking in terms of the kind of proposition they put to government about how they think they can run this. When it comes to the players um, interested themselves, obviously you mentioned before about how um, you know you need to maybe work out the arrangements around uh, quarantine and, and what they can do. And I'm, I'm sure probably it will probably become clearer once the process around uh, an inquiry around quarantine is is done. And we won't touch on that actual process. But in terms of the players themselves, like do you uh, have any kind of correspondence with the players? Obviously, they have some representation themselves and there's been a lot of talk that they uh, seem to want some guarantees that they can leave their rooms and go and train um, at the courts in a bubble type thing. Is that, uh, yeah, yeah, right they, yeah, look, but they don't have those conversations with, with me, Joel. They, they, they'll be having those conversations with TA. So yeah. we, we, we would rely on Tennis Australia to be sort of conveying to us the, the, the let's call them the requests of the players um, and... You know, um, I couldn't say at this stage how many of those requests can be accommodated. But, you know, clearly I think everybody understands that it's a very different environment at the moment to normal uh, and, and accounts going to have to be taken of those differences. But I think there's also a recognition that, you know, players need to be able to practice. So we'll, we'll, we'll be working on ways that that can be achieved. Yeah, and I think the big advantage that we do have is that obviously... Melbourne Park is quite close to the city, so I certainly think that that will work in favour, at least looking from the outside in. Uh, in terms of transport and, and crowds, um, we hope clearly that we will get some people through the gates, but one thing that really fascinates me, and, and potentially this might be a question maybe for uh, Jacinta Rowell and your colleague with the um, portfolio for transport, but um, is, is that uh, uh, like a focus when it comes to crowds, making sure that people when they come and, and leave the grounds, that they can be safely dispersed and, and, and go home? Yeah, look, um, I think I think the in a more general sense, the issue of how we make public transport safe as people start coming back into the centre of the city is a, is a, is a clear focus for government. Um, you know, masks, I, I suspect, end up playing a role in that. Um, uh, but, yes, you're right, Jacinta Allen and Ben Carroll, the, the ministers for, for transport, um, are the ones sort of paying that the, the closest attention, uh, but look, all of those things—how you get people in and out of the in and out of the place—it's not just about transport either. It's about you know how many people queue at the gates and how close they are, and that's not an issue just for tennis. That'll be an issue for, for cricket, um, potentially an issue for footy next year as well, um, unless we have a you know a vaccine emerges in the next couple of months. Um, and uh, yeah, all of those all of those things are in the basket of issues that we're working on. And with crowds as well, is that sort of a, 
when you look at where they're placed and where they're situated around the grounds, will there be a certain allocation for each different court as well, as well as Rod Laver and Margaret Court, the two paid ones? And then you look still at... Working all that out, yeah. Still working all that out, Bell. Still no working all that out. No worries. Yeah. And just before we, we do let you go, Martin, we we do need to ask, um, we'll end it on a lighthearted note. What's some of the, the best match that you've ever watched, men's or women's, in tennis? Well, I certainly won't talk about last year's Wimbledon final. Uh, I mean, the, the funny story behind that was that, I mean, I went to bed because um, I just said, look, I know how this ends. You know, Novak wins. I don't want to watch it. And then my son came, my son came and woke me up and said, Roger's about to win. Get up. I said, what? He's about to win. Get up. So I got up. Oh, and then, no. of course, I was forced to endure that trauma, which I would, which I assiduously tried to avoid. Um, look, I think um, live, I think probably the, you know, Federer and Nadal Australian Open final back of, was it 17 yep. when Federer yep. came back um, and won his, that was an amazing match. And I think Lenar and Chabulkova was a great final back in 14. Of those that I've watched on telly, God, there's so many. Um, I think Federer Roddick, which I think was 09. Nine? Yep. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, Rafter Ivanisevic yep. was just an incredible final. Um, uh, and, and going way back, sort of the McEnroe-Borg contests in uh, 80 and 81 um, were just incredible. Um, so, look, there's – but there's – I mean, look, God, you could go on and on, um, uh, like Bruce McEvaney. So I'll try to avoid doing that. But, yeah, look, over the years there's been so many um, remarkable matches, but most of the ones that I've enjoyed the most have involved Federer and yeah. – uh, uh, you know, now that him and Rafa are tied on 20, I, I, I hope he can win one more, but I think it's looking increasingly difficult for him. I but think maybe so. the Aussie Open will be his chance. Fingers crossed. Well, he's had nearly a year off, and we know what he did last time when he had an extended period of time off and he beat Rafa Absolutely. in that famous final, which is probably the best match I've been to live as well, Martin. But thank you seriously so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Minister, to have you on and, and to chat tennis with you and to chat about the upcoming Australian Open, which we're all really looking forward to. And we really cannot thank you enough for your time in such a difficult situation for you and, and the government that you represent. And it's been, yeah, it's been very stressful. So thank you very much for joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. Thanks for having us, guys. Cheers. Minister Martin Pakula there joining us here on Breakpoint Podcast. Absolutely fantastic. And we can't thank him enough for his time. Brilliant to have him on the show in these stressful times. But from one literal MP to another MP. And this man was so good the first time we had him on the show earlier on this year. We had to have him on again. He's fresh off a second round at Roland Garros earlier on in the month, or last month, I should say. And he's playing some mighty good tennis. The world number 117, the legionnaire legend, Mark Polmans, joins us on Breakpoint. Mark, thanks again for joining us on the show tonight. It's great to have you on. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> How's everything going? In uh, You're over there in Cologne at the moment. How's everything going over in Germany? Yeah, yeah, no, it's all going good. Um, you know, just uh, uh, I, unfortunately, I went down the qualifying the other day here in Cologne, but um, you know, I'm just happy to be back playing tournaments again. It's now the indoor indoor swing now has has started for me, so you know, making that transition from the clay to the indoor hard court. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it, and uh, I've got one more tournament left to go now, um, either in Vienna um, next week or in New Sultan, Kazakhstan. So. It's going to be interesting last week, but um, hopefully I can make it a good one. <laughs> yeah, I saw that tournament, uh, New Sultan, in, in Kazakhstan, and I was like, where the hell is this place? But I realized they've changed the name from uh, from Astana to uh, to, Kazakh- to uh, New Sultan. But 
coincidentally, the same week, uh, the same, well, the tournament's on the same day that Borat 2 comes out. So absolutely fantastic <laughs> there from the ATP and uh, Amazon Prime. But yeah, talk us, talk us through your trip over to the US and Europe, Mark. It's been obviously very different yeah. to what you'd normally be used to with the bubble in, uh, in New York and the bubble in Paris. Talk us through your experience and what you've actually thought of the whole situation. Yeah, no, it's definitely been uh, different to most years I've been traveling on the tour. Um, you know, my first tournament was uh, U.S. Open, where I, where I came from, came from Europe, and uh, I spent a bit of time there preparing, and then went on to U.S. Open. Um, but you know, it's a lot different now. You have to quarantine. Um, you have to be tested upon arrival at the hotel, and you have to quarantine until you get your your test back, and hope it's negative, or else you're going to be stuck in your room for you know ten to twelve days. So, um, so yeah, I had a you know a good U.S. Open. I went down in five sets first round, but you know, it was a good tournament for my first one back in, in five months. So, um, and then, yeah, on to, on to Paris. And, uh, you know, I had a, had a good clay court season. Um, and the same procedure there. You, you could really only stay at the hotel and, and the courts. You could never, you know, go outside and, and go to restaurants. It was just the whole time hotel and courts. So, um, it, to me, it's okay. Uh, some players are finding it a bit, bit boring. But, you know, for me, it's all, it's all been okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been definitely different times for tennis. <laughs> yeah, and it really was uh, a pleasure to watch you at Roland Garros, Mark. Uh, your win against Hugo and Bird was absolutely fantastic. And, uh, of course, he was in some really good form and, and probably still is even now. Um, like, yeah. What was that experience like for you? Because no doubt he would have been the favourite going into that, obviously home grand slam for him as well. But you, you really did take it to him. And, of course, you got the win in the end. And the scenes after that match, your celebration was Absolutely awesome. I think, I think we were all just delighted to see it. So can you sort of talk us through uh, that match? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I, I lost in the last round of qualifying, so that was a bit disappointing. Um, but then when I found out, I, you know, I had the lucky loser um, position in the, in the draw, you know, that was a, you know, I was really pumped to get out there and play again. And, and to, to play my first main draw was also awesome. Um, so, uh, you know, I knew I had to take it to, to him because, you know, he's, he's been playing some great tennis and, you know, he had some good, some good, good wins leading into the French. Um, so I felt like I really had to take the game to him and, you know, I was happy with how I played and the conditions were perfect for me. Um, you know, it was a bit drizzly and it was really slow. So I felt like I could, you know, do some damage and, and thankfully the, the, the drop shot was working pretty well. <laughs> um, hmm. but you know, I was really excited when I got the win. So. Um, I was very happy with that, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, Christian Garin next up, and you actually got the first set uh, off him. And yeah. I guess he's a, a real proper clay quarter coming from South America, coming from, from Chile. So even though, in yeah. the end, you didn't quite uh, get over the top of him, what do you learn from a guy like that who has just had that, that real strong upbringing uh, on the clay and is obviously ranked quite highly at the moment? Yeah, he, you know, he's, he's, he's had some really good results in the clay. He's being brought up on the clay. So um, I was really looking forward to the challenge of playing against, I think he was one of the high-ranked opponents I've come across. So, so yeah, you know, to get the first set um, was, you know, was good. And, and I served for the third set, which he played a great game to break me back and, and, and he ended up winning in four. But, you know, I've been all the way and, and, you know, I think my clay court game is getting better and better and, and I really do enjoy playing the clay. So, um, you know, it was a great confidence booster. Um, so I and, you know, keep trying to carry that over onto the heart. But it's been a bit of a tough start um, on the end of the heart. But, um, you know, I'll keep sticking in it and, uh, and keep going. 
And yeah, no, the results on clay were absolutely fantastic for you, Mark. And, and talking about the the clay court surface, it seems as though looking from social media and um, looking at the way you've enjoyed it, 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 clay is clay a surface that you really enjoy playing on? Is it one of your favourite surfaces? Because you seem to have a lot of excitement when you do go out onto the onto the red dirt. And, and what is it about clay that you love or, or hate so much? I guess. Yeah, I, I really. I really been, you know, I train quite a lot of on it when I'm in, in Melbourne just to, you know, change it up and, and give the body a bit of a break from the hard court. So, you know, I do spend quite a fair bit of time on it. Um, and I feel my game, you know, it kind of does adapt relatively well to the clay. You know, I like to use my drop shot quite a lot and, and, and the ball doesn't really bounce as much as high. So that shot's more effective for me. Um, and, you know, yeah, I just, I feel like I can, wear down opponents easier on the, on the hard court. You know, it's a lot more quicker points and, and um, the rallies aren't as physical. So I feel in the clay, I can, you, can, you know, I can, I can go with anyone. Um, but, uh, you know, I just enjoy the long rallies. <laughs> in the end, Mark, you were uh, a bit of an exception to the rule for, for the Australians because, uh, of course, I think you went the further, certainly at the French Open, but we had guys mm. like uh, Tony Millman and, and Jordan Thompson didn't really make that much progress overall in the clay season. And, mm. um, you know, I think it's fair enough that probably overall clay, I guess, as a nation, isn't our strongest surface because there's probably mm. not as many clay courts as hard or, or grass sort of out in the regional areas. So, like, what do you think is probably the way forward for Australian players on clay? Do you think it's uh, just simply investing in more clay courts so you guys can just go out and, and practice on, on the clay when, when it's required? Yeah, I think, I think the guys can definitely... You know, they, they can definitely play well play. I, I don't think, you know, Johnny and, and Tomo and, you know, Demon, I think all these guys can play on clay. Maybe it's just they don't, um, you know, spend as much time on it beforehand, maybe. Um, but, you know, you know, these guys, they can definitely play on it. So I'm, I'm, maybe this year they just didn't have a, you know, a, a great run. But, but uh, you know, I feel I spent quite a fair bit of time on it. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with the moving. And, and I think that's what the guys found the toughest is just the moving and the, and, uh, you know, the, the extra balls coming back, um, I, th- I think. But, um, you know, the guys had tough first rounds as well at the French. None, none of us really had an easy, easy-ish first round. Um, so, uh, you know, but I think, you know, the Aussie, Aussie guys, they can definitely definitely play on it. And I think it's just, I think I think Tomo has made third round at the French before. So, I think um, yep, so, no, has. Yeah, the guys can definitely play on it for sure. Yeah, and Tomo, yeah, has uh, had his previous best result at the you were at the at a Grand Slam was the third round at the 2019 French Open. But looking at yeah. your result at Roland Garros, which we discussed before, you were the actual you were the last Australian in men's or women's singles. Um, that must be that must be pretty special to you because looking at some of the stats that you know it's been Kyrgios, Hewitt, um, Tom, Mitch, Millman, some of those really big <laughs> names of Australian tennis over the last ten names have achieved the feat, and you're you're in with those guys. Um, how does an achievement like that sit with you when you hear it? Yeah, it was, it was definitely cool to know. You know, I was the last one, last one still going in the in the, in the tournament. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm just trying to really get my ranking up there so I can, you know, be amongst these Australia and and play the same tournaments as them. So, you know, and also I want to try to get into the into the Grand Slams with my own ranking and and not having to, you know, get a little lucky. You know, I was very happy that, you know, I was, I was able to keep the, the Aussie flag going for a certain amount of time. <laughs> um, you know, unfortunately, I couldn't keep it going for as long as I would have liked. But, uh, you know, to, to get past the first round for me was, was massive. And, 
you know, to get my second my second Grand Slam win. There's also a massive confidence uh, booster for next year's um, Grand Slam. So, you know, my game's slowly tracking the right way and, and I'm, I'm happy that that's the way it's going. No, it certainly is, and a lot of very good form to show. But talking about the, um, because you were a lucky loser into the first round of Cologne last week and then the French Open as well. Talk us through that process of actually being a lucky loser because it's not something that, um, that the, that, or just sort of bipartisan tennis fans really know much about. So talk us through the process and what you actually have to do to be in contention. Do you stay in the city? Is it a risk to actually remain in the city to be a lucky loser? And talk us through your thoughts on, on the whole, like, process and what you try and do to maybe maximize your chances of getting a spot in the draw yeah you know when i when i lost the french open last round qualities i didn't really even think of the option of potentially being a lucky loser and you know i've come off the court and my coach said you know mate there's still a chance you could get lucky loser and i didn't really know much on how it worked um but i later found out that you know if, if once the draw the main draw has been made and and there's been a few pullouts well then therefore you know they they got to put someone. They got to replace um, that person with someone. So they look at the last round of qualifying, and they usually go off the highest ranked player. They put them into a into a hat, or they they, they you know. In, in my instance, it was a chip, and they they take the turn over the chip, and whoever's name on it gets put into the draw. Um, but I was a you know two out of three two out of three chance at the French. Um, and uh, thankfully, I was able to snag one of those last remaining um, lucky loser spots. But, you know, it, it seems to happen quite a lot these days. Some of the guys arrive to the tournament, maybe potentially injured or have a niggle, and, and they wait to the last minute, and then they call it. So so even this week now in Cologne, there's three more lucky losers. So it seems, seems to happen quite a fair bit. But, um, you know, you've got to try to take advantage of it. If you get a bit of lucky, you've got to, got to try to do the best now. Yeah, definitely a bit of scope for it this year. Certainly, with the amount of uh, the amount of pullouts and the the, the rapid rate of, of tournaments, if, if you like, certainly in the second half of the year. But of course, in Coloma, we currently are still. Of course, you played uh, that great match against uh, Uber Hercash, another really good uh, opponent. And there was that one that that one point in that match that just really had everyone gripped. I'm sure you know the one that we're that we're talking about. Do you want to talk through that one? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, um, Hercash was playing. You know, some great tennis and you know, I was just trying to hang in there with him and he he played a great first set and and you know, I got up to a great start. I was up five one in the in the second set. So that was a you know, a bit disappointing to lose that set. But um, you know, we had some great rallies and he, he can move pretty pretty damn well. So, you know, I felt like I was just trying to, you know, hit a few drop shots and, and, and see if he gets to him and he constantly was, was getting to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a great rally and and thankfully, I was able to win one of those points. <laughs> no, it was it was absolutely amazing. And speaking of rallies, we did talk to you last time about your unbelievable table tennis skills. Have you been able to keep those up throughout uh, throughout uh, your trips in uh, America or Europe? Because we still do need to have our our match up for break point. We need to we need to get this sorted when all the clubs <laughs> open in Melbourne. Oh mate, there's been unfortunately nowhere to play table tennis. Unfortunately, lately, um, no one wants to. Uh... <laughs> No one wants to play with me at the moment, so uh, I'm, I'm waiting until I come back to Melbourne and, 
and we'll definitely have a game. I'm, I'm keen. Yeah, so am I. I've been really keen to play, and none of the bloody clubs are open. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. much better than my tennis skills. So, um, fingers crossed we'll be, able to, we'll be able to set this up very, very soon. But, Mark, um, we'll let you go, mate. It's obviously a very busy time for you over there. Fingers crossed that... Um, so, is... So Vienna is it either Vienna or Nursultan? What um, what will you do? What will help you make the choice and or sort of what's the process like yeah. in choosing which tournament you go to? Yeah, um, I'm currently two out of the qualifying for both yeah. events, so um, I'm, I'm hoping I can get to Vienna um, mainly because it's a it's a bigger tournament, yeah. it's a 500. Um, so I'd prefer to play that one if I get in, um, and also for travelling reasons, it'll be like. A lot easier to get to Vienna than you know, um, New Sultan, Kazakhstan. So, you know, hopefully I can get to Vienna, and 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 um, I'll, that's my first preference. Um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm just want to I just want to play as much as I can. So if it's New Sultan, I'll be making my my way over there, and uh, Tomo and and Milman and these guys are also playing there. So. It won't be too bad. <laughs> Amazing. At least you have the Aussie contingent there if you do end up going. But, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure watching your season resumption as um, we were so excited to do and we had, um, yeah, the whole the whole of Australia is behind you. We can't wait to see what you can produce over the next few weeks and also in 2021. So hopefully we'll chat to you very soon and have this table tennis match. But, Mark Polmans, thank you so much for joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Mark Polman's there joining us from Cologne in Germany. Absolute pleasure to have him on as always. He is, I think, the most likable player in tennis up there with what John Millman is. He's just, he's so humble and, and he genuinely loves it. I can't wait to have this table tennis day with him, Joel. But um, look, it is time for our favorite segment of the week and it is the Benoit of the week. And as I've said in many, many previous shows that it's the only real true segment we have. So it can't not be the favorite. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be very good. So we shouldn't be doing it. But Benoit of the week this week. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It wouldn't be very good. It wouldn't be good podcasting, but we pride ourselves on our work, so we're doing okay, I think. Um, Last week, it was the fly on Mike Pence's head with Joel's uh, flies are attracted to shit quote, which uh, I'm still still laughing about right now. But Benoit number 28. Well, her husband has got five nominations already this year. He's the outright leader and almost can't lose it for Benoit of the year. But Yelena Djokovic, it was about time because her moronic stance on Ben Rothenberg's tweet about uh, someone in the Djokovic box at the French Open not wearing a mask was, well, I thought it was warranted. But she came out and said, well, maybe he's got stress-related breathing issues. If he's got stress-related breathing issues, he shouldn't be in a sporting environment, Joel. Because it's pretty stressful. It's pretty cutthroat. It's a grand slam. Put a mask on. You'd think after the Adria tour that, you know, you'd have some sort of decency and Novak would have told everybody, wear a mask. Even Yelena, after that, in the final, had the mask but was wearing it below her nose. So her nose was still exposed. Not wearing it properly. Not the sole purpose of a mask. You need to wear it above your nose so that any air that you breathe out goes in there. Like a little bit of it probably come out, but everybody else is wearing a mask, so it's generally okay. She's come out and said that she's got stress-related breathing issues. Don't go. Watch it on TV. You're in a global pandemic, Yelena. Come on. This is ridiculous after the Adria tour. Wouldn't you want to lead by example? Novak should be telling these people this. What is what is wrong with this family, Joel? Uh, look, it was, it was pretty bizarre. 
not not entirely unexpected, but yeah, you're right. I mean, stress stress related breathing issues. If there is such a thing, then tennis probably isn't the environment for you. I wouldn't have thought. No. Um, Watch it on TV. Then you can breathe into. I don't know. Have you seen? Have you seen the South Park? Which, no, I haven't seen this the South Park pa- uh, pandemic special. I haven't. Go watch it. All right, I go will. watch it. It's 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 great. Um, I'll spoil it. I'll spoil it a little bit for you, but uh, it's la, it's la, great. La, 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 I don't want to know. <laughs> There's a little coin term. There's a little coin term for people that that don't wear masks properly, um, and we oh, should no. probably start using it. Uh, chin diapers. It's uh, very accurate. Oh, that's great. That is great. Absolutely fantastic. South Park, um, they, they generally do provide a lot of good humour um, in, in uh, stressful situations, and I love how politically incorrect they are because we don't get much of that anymore, and comedy is slowly dying, so we do need to preserve what we can of it, and people need to lighten up a little bit, and I think we can both I, safely say that. I, I actually had um, stress-related breathing when I was watching it from the laughter. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I was I was in my house, so I didn't wear a mask. So you know what I had yeah. stress related breathing issues with Joel. Friday night was Richmond and Port Adelaide. Nothing to do with tennis, but I want to wish oh, my boys, here, the Richmond Tigers, I want to wish them a very or very good luck in the grand final on Saturday night against Geelong. Chris Scott has bagged us all season, and he started to really just kind of respect us a little bit. But what he said at the start of the year that our dynasty isn't as good as other dynasties. I don't care, but let's get our third flag against you, mate. We want this. Go Tigers. I want this done. Joel Fritchie, thank you very much for your efforts on the show today and taking some time out of your birthday to record a podcast with me. It's always very special to see you, and especially on a day like today. Thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your birthday. Oh, thanks, Valley. I will. And, uh, yeah, good day for probably one of our biggest shows, I think. I think so. And big thank you to Minister Martin Pakula, MP, again, uh, for jumping on with us today. It's an absolute pleasure to chat to him in these crazy times, and we understand how busy he would be. So to take the time out um, to chat to this humble little podcast does mean a lot. And a big thank you to Mark Polmans as well for chatting to us overseas as well, because time differences sometimes don't match up, but great to have him on. And uh, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram, Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook. We are there as well. Just search Breakpoint Podcast or at Breakpoint Pod one and also uh, subscribe on spotify apple podcast google podcast Wooshko, anywhere you get your podcast will be there as well but remember val febo and joel fritchie here with you analyzing another big week in tennis we'll catch you next week for some more tennis chat and hopefully we'll get to the bottom of what happened to sam query <laughs>